live from the Nation Golf Weather Desk, we interrupt this regularly scheduled podcast to bring you breaking news from Hurricane Hillary. Just kidding. Roll the tape. Welcome to the fellowship, ladies and gentlemen. Some great news off of the top. We survived. Adam Hawk here with Ryan Engel. I'm so glad that you're here. I think we joined the small list of absolutely everybody in Southern California that survived Hurricane Hillary. We're here on a Monday. It's 80 degrees. The sun is out. We survived Hurricane Hillary. Here's my take on Hurricane Hillary, which was downgraded to tropical storm. And then downgraded to Cyclone Hillary. As if Hillary couldn't get downgraded anymore already. (laughs) Thank you for infusing politics into an apolitical show. Here's my take on Hurricane Hillary. Well, I mean, Hillary sucks, just not Bill. (laughs) That was a pretty good one. I mean, you got to give me some credit on that. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, leaf blowers do more damage than this hurricane did to the state yeah. of California. Yeah. And what I mean by Just that- make sure they're battery operated and not those evil gas powered ones. Leaf blowers make more noise. They move more things around, more debris around, and they are more intrusive on your life than this tropical storm. I am kind of embarrassed to admit that I did do some preparation for the storm under the advisement of the city of Fullerton in which I live. Did you do any sort of preparations regarding the storm? Did you bring anything in from outside? Did you lay down some sandbags? What did you do? Anything? Nothing. Didn't do anything. I went to a construction yard in Fullerton where they were giving out free sand, and all you had to do was fill it up yourself. So I broke my back filling up sandbags, loaded them up in the 2016 Corolla, took them out, laid them all down through the garage. I have a detached garage that's known to flood, and I found this out the hard way through our wettest winter ever, but I did do some sandbag preparation, ended up not really needing that at all. Look, it rained, it rained hard, there was a little bit of wind here and there, but as far as this being the end of times, none of that ended up materializing. Your thoughts on Hurricane Hillary the day after. The Palm Springs area got hit the hardest from what I could tell. Just following along for my friends out there and seeing their stories, Indian Wells got freaking hammered. Other than that, can we just change the subject? This is so stupid. Let's change the subject. We have survived. We do move on. So you want to talk about the BMW Championship? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is the second. Talk about some goth. This is the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. We started with 70 players in Memphis, whittled it down to 50 for the BMW, and now 30 will head to Eastlake for one hell of a bastardized finish. Because there is nothing like starting out players at 10 under par, 8 under par, 7 under par. What is that, dude? They just can't figure it out. Just... Make it a point system, and it's a point race, and at the end, it's it's whatever. You don't start golf tournaments with, what is this, a net championship? You're 10 under? Here's what the PGA Tour has said in the past. They don't want to have two champions at the end of the day. They don't want to have a champion that wins the tournament at East Lake and then a champion that wins the FedEx Cup. 
So they handicap the field so that whoever wins the tour championship wins the FedEx Cup. I get that. I do too. Here's what I don't like about it. Here's what I really don't like about it. Besides the fact that you're giving the best player in the world strokes, what I really don't like about it is that at the end of the day, this goes down as a PGA Tour win for whoever wins it. Despite the fact that they're starting at 10 under par or 8 under par, whatever leg up they have on the field. So not only are some of these players getting strokes, but they're playing in a 30-person field, and it's still going to go on their resume as a PGA Tour win. You want a dogfight? You want to see some, some fireworks, some theatrics, some meltdowns, some real gamesmanship? You want to sell some commercials? Zero the points out after yesterday's tournament, free for all. Mm. You make that top 30 last tournament of the year, it's anybody's lunch to take. Right. And those guys are going to go out there and fucking golf like you've never seen them golf. It'd be a Ryder Cup atmosphere. So what you are suggesting, and I love it, zero it out. Scotty Scheffler has no discernible advantage over Jordan Spieth. Yeah. If Jordan wins that tournament at East Lake, he gets the $20 million. He gets Because, the again, that's going to put those the, the last two tournaments – it's going to put an emphasis on getting into that, what, 70, 50, 30, whatever, you know? Right. So what was it? Daddy McCartney last night had to like birdie 18. He dumps it in the bunker and fucking misses the putt and bogeys, you know? The pressure got to him, you know? If there was those guys on that cut line to get into 30 to have a chance to win $10 million, you're going to see these dudes wake up and fight like they've never fought in their life. Because now they're going to play... Like, they have a chance to get the 10 mil. Three quarters of that field doesn't have a chance to win the 10 mil. Yeah. It's going to be a three or four horse race with this handicap system. Sure. And, you know? and by the way, I think it's 20 million for first place. Well, whatever. Yeah. I whatever mean, the fuck. A lot of money. Like, it matters, you know? To us, it does not. <laughs> like, 10 or 20 million is the same amount of money to me, dude. Well, especially when it's not yours. Yeah. Point well taken. There's a lot of money at stake, and you're right, these guys trying to get into East Lake would be scratching and clawing for everything if they knew that they had a chance to win the whole shebang. That being said, if you do make it to East Lake, you're guaranteed $500,000 for a 30-place finish. So everybody that is going to Atlanta for the finale just became half a million dollars richer. That might not mean anything to them, but that means something to their loopers. Their loopers just yeah. put 50 k in their pocket and more considering how well their guy would have had to have been playing to get that far. But before we get ahead to East Lake, and I actually want to tease this ahead, I have a great story about a looper who had one hell of a fiscal year this year. And I can't wait to tell that story because it involves Nation Golf and it's awesome. Was it Lars Lewis at the Country Club of Buffalo? Caddying for Roger Goodell and getting a $200 tip? Yeah. It's not Lars Lewis. Also, another thing that I want to tease is you have an amazing story coming up about a can of Pennzoil. So we've got two great stories coming up, so stay tuned. It's a I'm bottle, but yeah. A bottle, I'm sorry. I'll tell one, you'll tell one. On the BMW Championship, I didn't get to see a lot of it, but because we were supposed to shelter in place yesterday. I <laughs> Were we? <laughs> yeah. I took my daughter to the beach and we played in the rain. Well, that's good. Great. But if you were following our friends like Jordan Dixon, you would think the end of the world was coming and that we were supposed to shelter in place. I would have loved to 
conference called in to his telephone call to the community association regarding his down drainage pipe. (laughs) (laughs) You taped that. He could have went viral. Could have been famous. Could have been famous. And Jordan, we're going to make you famous on this podcast because I believe this is the third or fourth time we've brought you up. We love characters. And you, my friend, are the character. We do. We love, love, love characters. And if we're talking about you, even if we're making fun of you, it means that we love you even more. Sammy Davis Jr. said after his roast on the Dean Martin show that if they're not making fun of you, they don't love you. One of the great joys of being 45 years in this business is to have people who love you make fun of you. That is one of the great joys. Because the day they don't make fun of you, that means they don't give a damn about you. I thank you. That's it. Thank you very much. Remember that, everyone. Jordan Dixon, also one of the many people that got duped by that Dodger Stadium photo where it looked like, oh, yeah. like the whole thing was underwater. Yeah, you're like, you know, and there's like a thin layer of water or anything. It just goes a reflection. It doesn't necessarily show you how deep it is, you correct, know? Correct, correct. <laughs> but and, hey, you know. A word to the wise, that stadium is built on a hill, so it's actually <laughs> physically impossible. There's a little thing called gravity that yeah. water would not pool up at the top of a hill. Gravity! Also... <laughs> When you see the stadium sunken in beneath the horizontal line of the photo, that stadium would have been filled up with water. So the BMW Championship, which I did get to see a lot of on Sunday because we were sheltering in place, I guess what I would say is it's so fun to see such a stacked leaderboard. Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Victor Hovland, Max Homa. That's super fun to watch. What isn't that fun is that I don't give one hell about what they're playing for. I don't care that they're playing for a shit ton of money. We just discussed the money to us doesn't mean anything. I want to see that kind of leaderboard at a major. I want to see that when they're playing for a green jacket or a claret jug or a Wanamaker or a gold medal. I don't care when they're playing for money that I can't even fathom. So great to see all those guys But it didn't do anything for me because I just didn't care what they were playing for. Did you watch any of it? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it on Sunday. Oh, okay, great. So back to your phone to text? Or do you want to finish that thought? Oh, did you want me to speak more on it? Yeah, please, please, go ahead. Did you watch Sunday? Answer the question. Okay, and what did you think? What was your takeaway? Victor Hovland, I mean, he's a stud. He's had a great year. He tore the place up. I think it showed two of the best players in our game right now are the two weakest putters of any superstar, I think, of all time. And you're talking about which two Scheffler and Rory. Yeah. Those guys can't make putts. Scheffler, with as wild as he looks, he hits it down down the pipe every shot. I mean, Tita Green, he's as solid as anyone I've seen in recent years. And he's like 136th in putting, dude. Like if that guy even putted half-ass, he'd probably win every tournament by four shots. Watching those guys putt, and Scheffler had a good week putting, which is why he was in the lead, but then down the stretch, three jacks, 17, right when he coughs the lead up, it's like, I don't know if that mallet's going to stay in the bag long, bud. Well, I texted you because in our last podcast, you were talking about Lucas Glover getting the yips putting and then changing to the long putter. And while we both do not like the long putter, I texted you right after the BMW and I said... Scotty Scheffler, put him on the clock. He's the next guy to get a long putter. 
And are you dialing up some sound effects right now? Is that why I don't have your full attention? Are yeah. you on your phone right now Googling sound effects for the iPod broadcast? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Yep. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to wait for me to say something and then you're going to hit me with a sound effect? No, I, I was going to basically just tell the viewers at home how I feel about the FedEx Cup. Okay, so I don't know where to begin with what my favorite part of this whole ordeal was. One, that you were Googling the Price is Right loser horn sound effects. Yeah. So you could... It took a while to type that out. Right, yeah. It took a while because you're trying to talk, listen, and type at the same time. And God knows you have enough problems typing when you're not talking and listening. So there's that. True. Then you ramp yourself up, you build it up, you go to press play. It doesn't work the first time. <laughs> well, you can edit that out. Got to hit it a second yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, these are sound effects that I could easily, upon your request- Nobody cares, Adam. I could put them in Nobody afterwards. cares. They want a grassroots iPod broadcast. <laughs> that, that is what they want. That's what they want. Um, yeah. So Scotty Scheffler, not only did he three jack on 17 after he had coughed up the lead, but that came just a few holes after he missed a three foot birdie putt too. So it's not just the three jack that was a bogey. It was also missing the birdie. And then he goes on to lose by two strokes and you can point to exactly where he lost that golf tournament. We are burying the lead. Congratulations to Victor Hovland who shot a course record 61 at Olympia Fields just south of Chicago, and he just carded the lowest round ever in the final round of a FedEx Cup playoff event, whatever the hell that means or is good for. Yeah, congrats, dude. But that 61, incredible. And if you look at the back nine, 28, that's finishing in style. Unbelievable golf, good for him. But the problem here is clear for anyone who's – who understands golf and has been a fan long enough to see what has become of where we're at. It wasn't long ago, like in the Anthony Kim days, where you can go back and even watch that Ryder Cup. A great drive was like when they really pumped one, it rolled out to like 325. That ball was in the air 300 yards with like a power draw. These guys right now are hitting controlled, under pressure, fairway finding fades. 330 yards. They're flying at 315. Easy. All of them. Even Matthew Fitzpatrick yesterday was punting the ball. What are they going to do? This was a huge tournament. Back tees, Sunday pin, and Hovland made the place look like a pitch and putt. And this is at a golf course where when the pros showed up, the media couldn't wait to say, hey, this is a tournament where five under, six under, seven under is going to win. This is a tough track, Olympia Fields. Yeah. And 17 under ends up being the winning score. Yeah, until they start putting long irons in these guys' hands, coming into greens, it's just going to be bomb and gouge 61 on Saturday, Sunday. Come on, dude. Yeah. This is like NFL red zone. You need to see video game golf to be entertained. That's where we're at. My point is, I don't know if it's roll the ball back or make the driver smaller or whatever, but you just can't keep making these courses longer. It's fucking stupid. You got to NASCAR the field, dude. Make it a driver's race. The the equipment needs to get reeled back a little bit. Maybe not for the amateur. Let them hit big drives. Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. But the pros, dude, these guys are too good to have that much of an advantage. Maybe I'm on an island. Maybe I'm I'm the asshole. I don't know. I don't find it that exciting. And you've also never had a problem living on asshole island population one. Yeah. You're not scared of that. No. 
Not only am I the hair club president, but I'm also a client. (laughs) Best player not to win a major, and this went through my mind yesterday because Victor Hovland shot a 61, won another PGA Tour event. He's got you know, half a dozen now. Great so. kid, by the way. Yeah. I, I don't want to sound like I'm dogging that guy. I'm really big fan of him. Same. I, I would say he's one of my favorite players on tour. And that says a lot because he's the worst dressed on tour. Yeah, but his attitude. The best. He will screw the pooch and just blade it over the green and lose the tournament. And he just gives like a nice chuckle laugh, walks off gets back in his car, and puts a Slayer tape in there. Got to love this guy. You, you do have to love him. He's got a refreshing attitude, no doubt, because if John Rahm or Tyrrell Hatton blades a wedge, that wedge is going flying 70 yards into the nearest drink. And they'll probably blame the golf course or the equipment when it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Victor Hovland, he got me thinking about the best players not to win a major. I don't want to sit here and debate that. I would rather hear from this list, who do you want to see win a major the most that hasn't? The list I put together, best players not to win a major, Victor Hovland, Ricky Fowler, Tony Finau, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, Max Homa. Of those guys, who would you want to see win a major Hovland. the most? The other guys just don't do it for me. What about Rick? You're kind of a Rick guy. Yeah. I think it'd be cool at this point because he's kind of like people's champ in a way. I would want to see Victor Hovland do it the most because we just talked about how cool of a guy he seems. I'd also like to see Ricky Fowler do it. He's put in his time. He's paid his dues. He's finished second in everything. And I wouldn't mind seeing big Tony Finau get one as well. That would be cool. I do not care about Patrick Cantlay at all. He's a zero to me. The guy wears all black with white shoes. What are you doing, bud? He's a vampire. You see that broad he married. And, all right. And you're just like. Let's hold you're on. Like, just, do you want to pump the brakes here? I, no, no, because it's like if that guy wasn't rich and he was at the pool at the Ace Hotel in the middle of the summer with his shirt off, buying drinks, I don't know if that, that, that chick would look at him twice. You think she's driving the other way on the 111? Yeah. Back to L.A.? Yeah. Xander Shoffley seems like a nice guy, but again, he's like Patrick Cantley in the fact that he just doesn't do anything for me, gives me nothing, don't care, don't care if he wins. And then finishing out that list, Max Homa. I think I like Max Homa more than you. You don't like Max Homa. Is he good at clapping back on Twitter? Cool. He's just kind of like walking around, (laughs) taking up space, dude. Is that right? I don't know. There's something about him. All these guys, everyone tries to like make these the cool guys, and it's like it doesn't pass the smell test for me. A couple of great stories coming up. One about a caddy who had an amazing financial year out there, and his season just ended yesterday. And Ryan will tell a wonderful story about a bottle of Pennzoil. Before we get to either one of those, I was channel toggling between the BMW Championship and the U.S. Amateur Championship. Amateur. Amateur. Everyone knows it's a prestigious event. It's been won by Tiger Woods three times, which is just crazy. And yesterday, Nick Dunlap became the first player since Eldrick Taunt to win the U.S. Junior and the U.S. Am. A couple things about it and has nothing to do with the golf that was played. One, match play despite being my favorite format to play and to watch, is a very, very tough sled when it's down to just one match. It's hard to watch because there's so much 
downtime between hitting the ball and getting to the ball. And so when it comes down to a 36-hole match between these two guys for all the marbles, it becomes a little bit of a, of a snooze fest. Did you catch any of it? Didn't see a shot. Okay, but you've probably seen some match play before. Of course, yeah. And would you agree that when there's just oh, one yeah. match going on, it's, it's like tr- it's like it's like trying to watch a surf contest on on a live stream or TV or when they have it on there, you know? And they're out there sitting, <laughs> waiting for waves to come in for ten minutes at a time, while the announcers are like, you know, and you're just yeah. like, uh, right. A lot of downtime. So this match play works in the Ryder Cup because there's like eight matches going on at once. You're yeah. constantly entertained and watching golf. Let me go to Poulter on 16. I'm around amateur golf a lot because I do have another gig at the SCGA. And we put on hundreds of amateur golf championships a year, many of which I go out and cover. And this is no disrespect to the amateurs playing in these championships. Great kids with tons of talent. The problem I am seeing is you and I have been waiting on more personality to get infused back into the game of golf. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's not coming down the pike at all. These guys are exactly what they have seen on television and they are exactly what they have been coached up to be, whether that's from a swing coach or a mental coach. They are robots. They have all the talent in the world, but they aren't smiling out there. They're not talking to each other. They aren't having anything that looks like fun. And then when you go and talk to them after the round, there's nothing there. And these might be the coolest, nicest kids in the world, but there's just no personality in the amateur game. They are programmed robots who can hit the ball 350, stick it to five feet, make the putt, but there's just nothing going on. Let's play a little bit of Ingles make-believe. Let's say both Lee Trevino and Fuzzy Zeller never happened, and they were born in 1991 instead. Same talent, same uh, life story, but they get into the junior ranks, college ranks, and the modern coach gets a hold of them. And the modern books, the Dr. Bob Rotella books, and the way that we teach all these kids how to play competitive golf nowadays. Let's say Lee Trevino now is coming up, and he's playing in that U.S. Amateur. Does he win anything on the PGA Tour by keeping his true personality at bay? I don't think he does. We have taught this current generation and the future generations of golfers that there's only one way to win. And that way is not giving high fives as you walk by fans off the green, by ignoring people, by watching the toes of your shoes everywhere you go, by sitting in the corner and the grill room the day of the tournament, eating breakfast alone with your headphones in. We have groomed a generation of golfers into thinking that there's only one way to be successful in it. And it's just not true because everyone who knows this, all you fathers out there who have had one kid or multiple kids or have dropped your kids off at school and you see the one thing that everyone knows as fact, it's inarguable, is that everybody is so incredibly different and unique. And to think that you can put a blanket style of teaching over any group of people is the most backwards thing in the world. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be Lee Trevino, but one thing's for sure, you can't convince me that everyone needs to be a robot.
to speak more on your point, it's just you're not going to see any of that until those things change. And I don't think those things are going to change. I don't think they're going to change either because as long as these kids continue to get results this way, it's going to provide a proof of concept. And then the coaches can continue to tell the generations coming after this works. Lock in, block out the world, no distractions, no friends. Just get your bucket of balls and zone out everything else. These guys, they're playing in the casual round of golf at Isleworth Country Club. Cart, music's playing, they're playing fast. They got side bets, money games, they're chuckling and having a good time being a lot more loose than if they're on Sunday mode. I guarantee they shoot better when they play like that. I guarantee it. And they will guarantee that too. Those guys are going way lower when they're acting like that. They're all programmed to tighten it up when we get inside the ropes. To me, it's plain as day. It doesn't make sense. But who am I? I'm just that asshole on the island. Population one. I do want to pay off my story and then I'm going to have you tell a story. I want to tell a story right now about a time that you and I were driving in your van around San Clemente. I think we had just eaten lunch with your dad at the Schwack. Shout out, Big Rich. We had just had some fish tacos. You're driving the van. We come to a a crosswalk, and what was in the crosswalk was a biker. And this biker just got by us in the nick of time, got on the sidewalk, looked back up into the window, recognized you, and said, whoa, tips from the tips? And you're like, yeah, what's up, dude? He goes, Oh, hey, um, my name's Jordan. I'm a caddy. I saw your stuff on Instagram and I love it. Also, I know Joe Edder, Joe Edder, a caddy that we sponsored. And I know that he wears your stuff. And we're like, awesome. What's, what's your Instagram handle? Let's stay in touch. He's like, yeah, I don't do social media anymore. And I'm like, well, do you live in town here? Yeah, I live in San Clemente. Perfect. Okay, we're right up the hill. We're going back to our office. Come up there and talk to us, dude. Let's not have this conversation in the crosswalk. Like, we want to talk to you. So we come back to the shop. We meet Jordan Guilford, who at the time was caddying for Bo Hostler. And this guy lives right here in San Clemente, and you almost ran him over in a crosswalk, but he recognized you, and now he's up in our shop. He had just gotten off the bag doing a temporary job for Scotty Scheffler, who then went on to win like five tournaments in seven events, and Jordan could have been rich. And classic Jordan Guilford, as we've come to know, doesn't give a hell about that. Super nice guy, just goes with the flow. He's super happy for Scotty's success. Well, Jordan Guilford, who has stayed in touch with us, who has come by the shop many a time between when you almost ran him over and now, is now on the bag for a golfer named Andrew Putnam. Andrew Putnam might not be a household name. In fact, he's not. But Andrew Putnam just finished 35th in the FedEx Cup standings. His season ended yesterday. He missed getting to Eastlake by five spots. However, this season, Andrew Putnam won $4 million, which means Jordan Guilford, quiet, unassuming, super nice guy who hangs out down at the Borden Brew in San Clemente, just made $400,000 caddying. And yesterday, when his guy finished 15th and barely missed Eastlake and took down half a mil, there's 50K right in Guilford's pocket. And this isn't a guy who's walking around flaunting it or anything. This is just a classic, awesome caddy story. A guy that we met in the crosswalk who has become a friend of ours, who lives in San Clemente, who I text on the regular basis while he's out on tour, unassuming, keeps to himself, just had himself 
one hell of a year. And if they had finished just five spots higher, they go to East Lake, and Jordan Guilford's guaranteed if Putnam's paying out 10%, which most caddies do, he's guaranteed $50,000 just for making it to that. But what an incredible year for this guy. Does Mr. Guilford know that we're accepting investment opportunities here at Nation Golf? Yes, and uh, we pay back 0% on return. The investments are more like donations, if you yeah. will. But how cool for Jordan. What a great season. What a great guy. And to just see that name, Andrew Putnam, continue to be on the leaderboards all year long and then to play in a huge money event like yesterday, take 15th, make $500,000, and Guilford to make all this cash, good for him. Hawk, you love to see it. You love to see it, and quite frankly, you love to hear it. Yeah. Speaking of loving to hear it, why don't you kick back right now, make sure your headphones are nice and turned up, and Ryan Engel, by request of a listener, is going to tell you the story of why we here at Nation Golf have a can of Pennzoil framed and hung inside of the boardroom. Please tell us the Pennzoil story. Yeah, it's a good one. 86, the host club of the Bob Hope Desert Classic was Bermuda Dunes. And my grandparents had split up by that time. My grandmother's house was on the ninth tee box of the classic course at Bermuda Dunes. How it worked back in those days, because the, the Hope was always a five-course rotation, Tamarisk, Indian Wells, Bermuda Dunes, El Dorado, and La Quinta Country Club. Each year, they would rotate who the host club was. So that's when like the most action was going down, like the classic gala the night before Sunday's final round, things of that nature. It was, it was more of a hub for the extracurricular activities of that given tournament. So my grandmother, like most of the members who were active in all of those surrounding clubs who hosted the tournaments, you could get first dibs on volunteering. So she was the socialite of Bermuda Dunes back then, always through the biggest parties. I've always said she was a female Dean Martin. For those that know her, know that to be true. She gets first on the list and she requests on Sunday to be the official scorekeeper for Arnie's group. Now at that time, you know, it was 86, Arnold Palmer wasn't sniffing victories, but like had huge entourages of patrons and a mob following him because he was just so popular in the desert. So she score kept. And back then you could, if you had a, a house cart, you could take your own cart and follow along. So I was five at the time and they did the front nine and she's just behind the ropes, just following in her classic Canary Yellow Cushman Grand Golfster Fairway Chariot following the king picks me up at the ninth hole because we're all out on the patio and I rode on her lap the last uh, nine holes which the back nine there is so sick they finish up the round you know she's been chopping it up with Mr. Arnold Palmer all day and cracking jokes and just you know ripping Carlton 120s and being Phyllis Ingle at the end of the round goes uh, Mr. Palmer hey we're having a big party at the house I'm on nine. You should come by, bring whoever. He's like, uh, Phyllis, go tell that gentleman over there points to his assistant. Go give him the address. So she doesn't think anything. She's like, you know, obviously I'm going to invite him, but you're just like probably not going to show up. So we're having the party at grandma's house and my mom made her famous barbecue chicken wings. Music's going, cocktails. My grandma had this big living room with coral pink wallpaper, white shag carpet and a white u-shaped corduroy couch with mood lighting underneath she's just got dean martin blasting 
people are dancing, dressed to the nines. I'm asleep on the couch, curled up, because I'm like, Arnold Palmer's coming. It was like Santa Claus. I don't care what kind of party you guys are having. I'm, I'm sleeping out here in case this guy shows up, you know? And knocks on the door. Lo and behold, Mr. Palmer and his assistant partied with the whole family all night. My mom still boasts about the fact that he was just licking his fingers, just mopping up her tray of, of wings. So every time my mom makes her barbecue chicken wings, she goes, Arnold Palmer loves my chicken wings. We hours of the morning and it's time to wrap it up. And they're out the door. My grandma just goes, wait, 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 Arnie. I, uh, hold on one sec. She runs out into the, into the garage, grabs a fresh bottle of Pennzoil. That was one of the sponsors, Pennzoil commercials, sitting on tractors and shit. Hands it to him and, and he writes, to Ryan, best wishes, Arnold Palmer. And I just can't believe it. Truly the king, a man of the people. Yeah, what a cool story. I've heard that story three or four times and I, I like it more each time I hear it. And we had some people over to the Nation showroom recently and they asked, why do you have that bottle of Pennzoil in a frame up there? What, what's going on with that? And you're like, well, buckle up for one hell of a story. And I remember you told me that story when we first met too, down at Trevor's at the Tracks. It also goes to show you how much of a different time it was where you could, as a member of a country club, go ride around in your own golf cart and follow around to be an official scorekeeper and how into the volunteers in the gallery that Mr. Arnold Palmer was. And then in a time before social media, go and show up at a house party like that and know that everything's going to be cool. You're going to be safe. No one's trying to get you. No one's trying to film you in a stupid drunken moment and sell it to Harvey Levin. Like you're good to go. And now what do we have? Brooks Kepka selling you Michelob Ultralight. I put it out yesterday on our Instagram at Nation Golf. If you have any topics, grievances, questions, get them to us. We will do our best to incorporate them into the podcast. We got so many responses that we only have time to go through. Let's just let's just do a rapid fire. You want to just go through them all? Not all. I mean, you can you can cherry pick a little bit, but let you know if the, if it's not a good one, we'll answer quick. Move on to the next. Chris Torres asks, "When is your favorite time of the year to play golf?" January, Indian Wells, Coachella Valley in the winter, best golf in the world. My favorite time to play golf is any time. <laughs> Touche. Nt Garwood wants to know, did you go surfing in the hurricane? My wife's still full force on the Maui relief efforts. So I had a daddy daycare all weekend. I did my best. I took her down to the beach to my favorite little secret spot, which isn't a secret anymore because there was 50 fucking people out there. But I at least got to watch that swell, mine surfed it, jumped in some puddles. Kind of felt cool to be there but I would have liked to paddle out. Yeah, it's funny. Every time you see some kind of system come through a surf town, all the surfers just run to it. Yeah. You got these newscasters wearing these like heavy-duty rain jackets getting blown away saying, stay in your house, don't get on the roads. And then these surfers are out here just like, all right, man, paddle out. Let's have a good time. Let's get barreled. <laughs> Great accent, dude. Is that how they talk? Yeah, exactly. Cindy Hill, wife of Jorge Hill, wants to know, and she's the best, wants to know, why don't people repair their pitch marks on the green? I have a couple theories. It's one of two things. One, they're assholes. Two, which I think is more often than not, you got to look. You know the numbers from the SCGA. 
the vast majority of golfers are high handicaps. They can't break a hundred. So if you're talking about a public course where this is mostly the problem, for one, there's no sense of ownership, but the main reason is these are people who can't break a hundred. They're more than likely coming in with lower lofted shots from further back. Not great. They're probably not consistently hitting great shots. They're looking for their ball probably in the back edge of the green because it ran through and they don't even know that they have a pitch mark at the front of the green. I think a lot of times it's negligence due to ability. And then the other assholes are the ones that just fucking leave them there. And and look, it doesn't really affect it unless it's like a moon crater because if it's in your line, you get to fix it and make it flat. It's just not pretty if you don't fix them right away because they leave those little like brown spots. So the greens have freckles but you can still fix it and make it roll flat. So it doesn't affect play. It's just horrible for the course, the greenskeeper, all the hard work that goes into it. It's just, just fucking lame, dude. Every time we play golf, that's probably the one thing I complain about the most. And I fix four or five fucking marks a hole. It's true. I can attest to it. I see you go out there and uh, like the hiker leaves the trail better than the way he found it. You do the same for the dance floor. And we appreciate that. David in Kansas City wrote in, probably an unpopular opinion, but rangefinders slow down play and don't really help the players. Your thoughts on that, Ryan? I don't know. I, I, I think they probably speed up play because if, if you didn't have them, you'd have all these yahoos trying to walk off sprinkler heads and shit or talking to the guy next to him, asking him like, how far do you think it is? Or I see more guys now use a rangefinder and you, there's not even a discussion with the guy next to you. So. I think it probably speeds up play, to be honest. But I do see what he's saying. I, I use one. I never feel cool when I use it. I think when he's saying it doesn't help players, it means that no one is that dialed to need to know exactly what the yardage is. Yeah, but it, it what it helps is I think it does help the pace because it helps make that Yahoo using it decide on what club he's going to hit instead of fucking talking about it. Yeah, that's true. Ryan from Seattle says, how do I pass the time waiting for the next line of fresh hard collars to hit the shelves at Nation Golf? Like, subscribe, follow, and if that doesn't work, donate money. They're coming, man. We're going through it right now. We're really excited for this next drop. It's going to be big time. Boy, I hope you guys buy them. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. We see a lot of brands on 40% off sales right now. Isn't the world on 40% off right now? Yeah, I think I, I think people are still playing catch-up now that the stimulus checks have run up and the cost of living in every aspect has gone up. So when we do drop this, boy, howdy, it would be nice to uh, have these hard colors be well-received. Mm. How about a quick little note to the people in the comments who, when we drop a product always say, need that, need it, gotta have it. It's like, perfect. We posted it, it's available. Add to cart. Add to cart. Prove it. Prove that you need it. Prove it. Yeah. Make that purchase. Prove it, bruh. Tony D714 wants your take on the dynamic pricing trend at golf courses. And for those that don't know what dynamic pricing is, you see this with concert tickets. Um, when, when something's hot, the seller really, really, really capitalizes on it. So if they know they're going to sell a lot at a certain time, they jack up the price. So golf courses have been exercising dynamic pricing, which I like to call a fancy nice term for gouging. And they do this on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Yeah. I mean, that's always been a thing. It's not a trend. It's just have prices gone up. Yes. But the same structures there. 
it's always more expensive to play in the morning and always cheaper to play in twilight. Being a part of a club and being close with the staff, especially the grounds crew, talking to them and knowing how crazy the prices have gone up on fertilizer and seed, let alone just personnel, you know, wages and insurance and all that stuff. If milk's expensive, so is everything else. Right. And you could always argue that this is a classic case of supply and demand. Econ 101, there's a limited supply and a massive demand. Yeah. So they're going to charge what you're going to pay. And as long as we all keep paying that, it's never going to change. Right. And they're going to continue to stretch that rubber band as far as they can. The $40 tee time that's now a $65 tee time is going to be an $80 tee time in the next year or two. Yep. And we're all going to be there for it. And we're going to be there when it's a $100 tee time. And ultimately, what this is going to do and who it's going to screw over, Engle, is you and me. Mm. Because when golfers have to decide between their round of golf and whether or not they get another polo, they're going with the round of golf. Oh, yeah. They're making that polo last for a year or two. Totally. So we are a luxury item on top of a luxury item we're luxury to the second degree golf is a luxury item but you're always going to take that over getting a new polo so we're the ones that are screwed we remind you to support the business we need it and we thank you so much for it we got a lot of orders over the weekend which is really nice to see because we did dive so hard into the community relief maui effort something that we were very happy and honored to do but we did have to put our business on hold for a little bit our customers have been doing a great job of helping us play catch up. So that's been awesome. And we welcome that support and we thank you so much for it. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. Thanks guys. <laughs>